Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is your host, Tim Burns, the common man with common sense and an uncommon desire to know the truth. Well, what are we going to do today? Uh, we covered Thomas Jefferson and education and this whole idea about the, the staunch wall of separation between church and state that he established. Well, that wall was meant to keep government out of the hairs of religion. Had not, it had to do with government not establishing any religion had nothing to do with religion not being allowed to participate in the public forum but look at how far we've come any mention of god i told you about that story of the seventh grader who has to relinquish her belief in god or else she's going to fail a course according to her teacher now you want to talk about teaching open-mindedness to kids that's exactly what our education system doesn't do. And again, let's just uh, summarize on the Thomas Jefferson education plan, which I am all for. Cater to the individual student. Create a system that actually looks and helps the kids to find their niche. Don't treat everybody the same. If somebody's got a higher skill set, has a little more intelligence capacity, then make sure you have a system that caters to that, that keeps them from getting bored. Everybody talks about Albert Einstein leaving high school, not graduating from high school. You know why? Because they couldn't hold his attention. So what do we have as far as summarizing the education system? Mandatory reading, writing, arithmetic third grade now the teachers start looking for those kids who need help those kids who are handling the curriculum and those kids who they're going to get bored if you don't find them some stuff to learn it's always about keeping a kid inspired just like just like uh, albert einstein said teaching should not be a hard duty the art of teaching is to motivate a kid to love to learn not just pounding stuff in their heads. Education not being a branch of municipal government, but like the other arts and scientists, an attribute only. I did not place it with election as a fundamental member in the structure of government. Look, this is a balancing act because Thomas Jefferson was all for an entirety of free education. If you could afford it, you pay for it. If you want to go to a particular school and there's a scholarship requirement, then you pay. If you can't afford it and the recommendation that you deserve to be in here and you can't afford it, then you get in. And a, a variety of different kinds of school is what Thomas Jefferson envisioned, a grassroots up approach. 
no centralized, no one person overseen, as, as Jefferson put it, 12 or 1,500 schools under one administration. What will this do? It is surely better than to place each school under the care of those most interested. It's a local level. We could have local levels coming up with their own curriculums, catering to the students who live in that area, not ignoring all of the basics of education. For instance, in a rural situation, a curriculum probably would cater more in line with perhaps agriculture. An inner city education might cater to more of inner city, uh, city infrastructure, the complications of an advanced civilization. What are those foundations? Well, water. We need water. We need food. And we need to get rid of dirty stuff. Those are the basics. If you don't have those, your civilization comes to a grinding halt. Uh, Jefferson's vision was, you know, we have Jefferson's infrastructure on education. We have local levels, as he calls it, divide every county into wards of five or six square miles, establish in each a free school for reading, writing, and common arithmetic to provide for the annual selection of the best subjects from these schools who might receive at the public expense a higher degree of education at a district school. He had a variety of schools always waiting for the students and what their skill sets were. We have an education system. It might have the basic infrastructure, but it's a long way off as far as whose best interest the school system really is for. And when it's a union, there's only one best interest. When push comes to shove, it's a group of self-interest. It's the wrong model. We may have the, the beginning infrastructure going back hundreds of years, but we've replaced it with, well, obviously what they think is best. And it's all about, apparently, salaries and pensions and bureaucracies and infrastructure according to taking care of, first and foremost, the union, bureaucratic, monolithic, gigantic nightmare infrastructure. Uh, so we've got, uh, uh, again, we've got, the object of my education bill was to bring into action that mass of talents which lies buried in poverty in every county for want of the means of development and thus give activity to a mass of mind in proportion to our population. Bottom line is that you create a system that again caters to the children lies buried how many inner city kids because of this system are trapped how many per perhaps genius minds no matter what color black brown or white are trapped in systems where they can't even get a voucher or they can't even go to a school that will cater to their needs this is the original voucher that came in the late 80s an inner city milwaukee city councilwoman was watching her kids in her inner city, die on the vine from an education point of view. And all she wanted, she could see the potentials out there. She could see some genius potential, I would assume. And all she wanted to do was get those kids 
and keep them interested, keep them active in their educational pursuit. You start boring a kid, they're going to look for something else to do, and usually that gets anybody and everybody into trouble when you get bored. All right, so I think we wrap that up on uh, education. And what I want to do is get to the next stereotype of Thomas Jefferson, which is Thomas Jefferson was a deist. Now, we look at his own declaration of independence, and we can see that, well, no wonder our school systems of today subtly ban it. Oh, it's in the textbooks probably. Do they teach it? No, because they don't understand it in the first place. We hold these truths to be self-evident, self-evident, crystal clear. In fact, Jefferson wanted to use the word sacred, and Ben Franklin talked him out of it. Either or, both words are great. Self-evident is, in a sense, even better, but it was Jefferson who wanted to use the word sacred, which has a, a godly or religious overtone, sacred devoted or dedicated to a deity or to some religious purpose, consecrated. This is the word Jefferson wanted in the first draft. And Ben Franklin, again, talked him out of it. Said, hey, well, Tom, we might as well. Let's, let's use self-evident. And I'm sure after thinking about it, I mean, Thomas Jefferson was unbelievable in his use of the English language. Again, as I've said, I've come across some of his quotes. And his quotes, there's hundreds of thousands of words. We don't have to listen to what somebody says Thomas Jefferson believes. We can go hunt for ourselves and see exactly what he believes, exactly what he says regarding any particular subject matter. In, uh, sacred, entitled to veneration or religious respect by association with divinity or divine things. Holy pertaining to or connected with religion, reverently dedicated to some person, purpose, or object. Now I'm thinking, if Thomas Jefferson was, quote, a deist, why would he even consider using the word sacred? He wouldn't. So why has he been labeled as such? And in fact, taking a whole bunch of our founders and labeling them all deists, perhaps there was a few. Thomas Jefferson, a deist, his own words betray that very stereotype and label that history has given him. In fact, let's see where it begins here. And, and this is what I found that very much interested me because I've always wondered, I, I know how the conventional wisdom gets passed down from one generation to the other. It's pretty easy to do. It's a lot easier to stand in front of somebody, look at them in the eye, look up to them that they might know something that you don't know, and to believe their opinions as opposed to going in and doing the homework for yourself. I'm one of these people. I just, I like doing the home. I like the idea of crossing those bridges and having light bulbs go off in between my own ears instead of, you know, it's, it's the difference almost in, you can believe in anything. But there's a difference in believing and knowing. And I like to know. I like to prove things to myself. Yeah, it's convenient. It's convenient to go to uh, a seminar or go to a Bible study and look up to whoever the 
the teacher is and say, well, I'm going to assume he's got to know what he's talking about. But even whether it's religion or whether it's historians, a lot of it is passed from generation to generation. And it's just assumed, well, this was the conventional wisdom that is all there is on a particular subject matter. When in fact, if you look at, uh, well, let's see here. Let's get to exactly where I believe the whole stereo, the, the stereotype started with Jefferson as a deist because I've got some quotes. Now, there are hundreds of thousands of words of Jefferson's writings available to be viewed. You can go to timburnshow.com. You can go to the Thomas Jefferson Info. You can hit the search button in there. You can... There's a never-ending supply of his own words if you want to know exactly what he's thinking about something. But again, it becomes really easy. And historians have done this. Historians can track, well, I looked up to this historian because he was the of this generation and he was so good and everybody looks up to him and maybe that guy looked up to somebody else and that guy looked up to somebody else. So where did it all begin as far as Thomas Jefferson is concerned? Well, let's see here. Jefferson, and this is where I think the whole idea of, de- uh, of him being a deist and that label sticking and historians being lazy, not to, <laughs> not to look at his own words, but to believe somebody else whose opinion about Jefferson labels him a deist. Jefferson, for instance, was branded, quote, an atheistical monster by the president of Trinity College, now called Duke University. The president said Jefferson's establishment of the University of Virginia was a long-range plan for subversion of Christianity. Now, we ended the show yesterday. Jefferson's game plan for the University of Virginia, the first public university, was to invite all of the different denominations onto the campus so students could hear the different portrayals of the different religions from pastors and preachers right on the campus, near the library, right in the public forum area of the University of Virginia. And why did Jefferson do that? because he believed it would soften their asperities. It would lessen their prejudices. By he- It would promote how to be open-minded also. Look, the art to life is being open-minded. And again, it's easy to believe what somebody tells you that you look up to. That's real easy as opposed... For instance, I'll give you a, a real for instance. When the whole Clinton fiasco happened... I didn't have an assumption. I didn't have an. Uh, I didn't have uh, what I thought. Should he be impeached? Shouldn't he be impeached? It actually drove me to the Constitution. I didn't know. Now, should Clinton have been impeached in my book? Well, not for, not for everybody does it and everybody lies about it. No, not for sex. But the abuse of power and the corruptive process that the Clinton administration used to make sure that certain things weren't taking place. Yeah, it's all about 
integrity. It's all about honor. It's all about morals and ethics. And that whole fiasco pointed out how unethical and immoral all of it was. All right, so uh, called Duke, you know, the president said uh, a long read, a bold enterprise and deistic daring of enormous proportions. He called him, quote, a deist, an infidel, agnostic, and materialistic, and a materialist. Was that Jefferson? Well, that's what this guy, the president of Trinity College, now called Duke, that's what his opinion was, and apparently the label stuck. How many smart people out there just immediately default Jefferson was a deist? And yet Jefferson actually had quotes in the fact that he used deism as a comparison to what he wasn't. And we'll get to some of these quotes here. All right, stick around on the Tim Burns Show here on 810KLVZ. Tim Burns, Phenomenal Exhibit Services. You know, big business is done at these conventions, and if you are the responsible party at your company for making those exhibits work right on the convention floor, and it seems that it's nothing but hassles and headaches and nightmares, that the logistics just aren't working, I encourage you to make a phone call to Nominal Exhibit Services. They're the one place that starts and ends the process. They take you from point A to point B, and they will free up the most important thing you need, time to do business at these conventions. Conventions. So call them 303 901 9090. All right, welcome back here. This whole idea that Thomas Jefferson was a deist, uh, we're going to go over quote after quote from historians? No. From people who knew Thomas Jefferson very well? No. From who then? From Thomas Jefferson himself. <clears throat> and these are a couple of quotes. And, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson was, I mean, he was so dedicated to the cause of, well, as I frame it, of learning something new every day. I mean, this is a kid at 10 years old. He's taking Greek and Latin at 10 years old. Now, the... The Latin, you know, kind of a language, well, the Latin actually probably helped him to go into the actual, as written in Latin, perhaps some of the, uh, the Roman information written in Latin. Greek, well, the only thing I can think of is that he used this to actually go into the actual source of what the Bible was translated, the New Testament was translated into. You know, all that in the New Testament was written in Greek originally. Again, as I've said before, I've gone into Bible studies over the years, and they say, hey, what, what is that Bible? You don't have the King James Bible? And I said, what, the one Paul carried? And yeah, the one Paul carried. Well, I, have the, uh, I like the New American Standard just for the fact that the people translating it were language scholars. They weren't religious. Their concern was going in and translating the words, going into the Greek language. Well, I think that's what Thomas Jefferson did too. There's a, there's an, there's a, uh, a compilation of his, what they call the Jefferson Bible, 
for lack of a better understanding, he went in and looked at all the red words. He called Jesus the most moral and ethical man in history. Well, how can you make that judgment? How can you have that opinion if you haven't been doing your homework in the Bible? Not only did he do homework, I think he went back to the original Greek languages to understand the actual language upon wit, with, with which it was written in. I'll give you an example, the King James Bible. There are four different words, two of them Greek and two of them Hebrew. They've all been translated, four different words, they've all been translated into one word, the word hell in the Bible. And yet you have Gehana, you have Hades, you have Sheol, and you have Tartaros. They all have relatively different meanings. Tartaros definitely has a different meaning. And yet, we cheat ourselves by not having those, those words that provide more meaning. It's, it becomes so much easier. You read the word hell, and you immediately have the, the definition of what you ever, whatever you think that word is. So here we go back to... Some of Jefferson's quotes, the God who gave us life gave us liberty. And some people say, well, he just used God in, uh, as part of, uh, he really didn't believe in God. We know he's, he was an atheist. He was a deist. I can never, I can never join Calvin in addressing his God. He was indeed an atheist, which I can never be. Not the God whom you and I acknowledge and adore, the creator and benevolent governor of the world. Now we get back to his understanding in just basics, and then the context of we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal. Well, we know that all men aren't created equal. Why does Thomas Jefferson say that? Well, it's followed up. We are endowed by our creator, it's that endowment that we need to understand. And the difference between, well, a lot of, well, we'll get to that. Did Thomas Jefferson understand that endowment? Did he use that just because he came across somebody else's writings and used it? Never do or say a bad thing. Our maker has given us all faithful internal, a faithful internal monitor. That's our conscious, not the consciousness, but our conscious, the understand, the I-E versus the O-U-S version. You know, you can be conscious of being, animals are not, animals are conscious, but they're not conscious of their own consciousness. They're not aware of their own consciousness. And take that the other step, not only are humans conscious we're aware of our own consciousness, and it provides us the ability to be conscious about the choices we make. Now, I know that's a lot of conscious, but they all have different meanings. It's like the word, uh, it's like the word spirit. You can look, go to a dictionary, and there's 12 different meanings of spirit. And we get really confused as individuals, 
about the applications and uses of different words regarding what they are in the Bible. We can have alcoholic spirits. We can have elves and fairies and ghosts and demons. We can have school spirit. There's all sorts of different meanings applied to one word. The same is true in the Bible. The word spirit can have different meanings. And now you look at Jefferson's understanding going into the Bible, creating what they call the Jefferson Bible. So he did his homework. And he was a pretty smart cookie in that regard. And he was diligent. And he was thorough. So when he talks about a faithful monitor, well, that goes in hand in hand with the endowment from our creator. That's the source, the source of our personality. It's why we can look in a mirror and say, I am who I am. And it's also the source of understanding right from wrong. All of the, all of the characteristics that we know make us different than the animals come from that endowment. Animals live in the moment. We can ponder the future. We can, we can reflect on the past. And we can live on a choice by choice. This is all we human beings do. Why? Because of the endowment from our creator. Never do or say a bad thing. If and if you will always obey it, you will always be prepared for the end of the world and for a much more certain event, which is death. I think that's his way of saying, and I know from personal experience, that I don't have any fear of death. People who fear death think it's that this is all there is and there is no more. Well, with an understanding of the great beyond, whether a complicated understanding or whether a basic understanding, it takes away, it alleviates that fear. And that fear is what we're, <laughs> it's all about overcoming that fear. And the way we do that is we get ourselves on a daily basis, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. And where's a good source for that kind of information? Well, it's the Bible. Most people, <laughs> it's sitting on the shelf. Got to blow the dust off it, open it up, do a little homework. But that's tough to do. It's a complicated book. It's filled with all sorts of information. I've said this before. If science would just say to itself, you know, we'll just ignore the God part and all the other stuff that's in there that's related to God and just look at the history that's in there. You know, they go to Egypt and they look at hieroglyphs and a Rosetta Stone and they start translating and they... They pull more and more information from everything they can from the finds that they find regarding Egyptian dynasties and the pharaohs. And they've done a pretty good job. And yet, there is so much historical information that if science just said, wow, look at all that, we could, we could actually fill a lot of gaps in recorded history by taking the information contained in the Bible, but they don't, and they won't. Why? Because it's got this, well, it's got this stereotype on it. 
Oh, well, there's some myths in here, and this is not, and I don't agree with this, so you know what? I'm just going to throw everything out, and I'm not going to regard anything in there. There is so much different information. And you got to be able to sort through it. you got to be able to understand it. And you do that by just doing some homework. I mean, I've, I, I, again, I've read the Bible front to back. And I don't read to read. I read to understand. And this was all before the Internet age. And so the most important book that was next to me was, an, was a dictionary, which a dictionary is always my, hey, I'm not going to pretend. I'm average intelligence, maybe a little above average. That, and as much homework as I do, I'm never going to graduate to a higher intelligence level. But this is, this is what we can do as individuals is keep, you know, it's like a, it's like a muscle, our intelligence quotient. It's a muscle, and we need to exercise that muscle. And you do it by line upon line, precept upon, you exercise it every day. All right, we'll be right back on The Tim Burns Show. Oh, that was one awesome burrito. I told you this place was great. I know. I had no idea. No, I got to get back to work. Uh, waiter. Senor El Checo, por favor. Jenny, that's not our waiter. Oh, whatever. You know, I can't tell the difference between all these Mexicans anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, Jenny. I really don't know what you mean. Imagine the power of one voice. Find yours at freedomcenter.org. A message from the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Amy Grant. When it comes to supporting our military, the American Red Cross is proud to serve those who serve us. When emergencies happen, the Red Cross helps connect service members with their families. There are many ways you can get involved, from volunteering at military or veterans hospitals to helping military families cope with the challenges of deployments. Please support the American Red Cross service to the armed forces. Go to redcross.org. Thank you. Tim Burns for DoggyDogWorldRescue.com. Are you looking for an adoptable pet that's been rescued from abandonment or abuse? You know, there's a lot of different dogs out there. You can get a dog that goes from abandonment and abuse to a cage and then to you. That will never happen at DoggyDogWorldRescue.com. Why? Because they have a great rehabilitation system that helps the animal find who itself is. So I encourage you, anywhere on the front range, if you're looking for a dog, go to DoggyDogWorldRescue.com. All right, welcome back here. Uh, let's get to some quotes. I, I got to make sure I get a bunch of this stuff in before I put my two cents worth in. Uh, these are Jefferson quotes. Believing that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship. Does this sound like a deist talking? Does this sound like an atheist talking? Why would he even say any of this stuff? Well, because that label is flat out wrong but it sure is convenient. And especially when you're trying to hold up Thomas Jefferson politically as the one who separated church and state. Well, again, he wanted to make sure that government did not infringe upon any religion by establishing a government religion. That was the whole point. That he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, 
that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature, legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. See, this is what the convenient his rewrites of history do. Oh, thus building a wall of separation between... See, Jefferson, he put up that gigantic wall, and then they'll completely disregard everything that was just said before that has nothing to do with anything other than government staying out of the business of religion and staying out of other people's religious beliefs. So, and, and these are all quotes just to give you a context to undo the stereotype. In January 1806, a female evangelist, 1806, Jefferson was president from 1801 to 1809. In January 1806, a female evangelist, Dorothy Ripley, delivered a camp meeting style exhortation in the House to Jefferson, Vice President Aaron Burr, and a crowded audience. Throughout his administration, Jefferson permitted church services in executive branch buildings, which were acceptable to Jefferson because they were non-discriminatory and voluntary, and because he believed that religion was an important support for Republican government. Do you think any teacher since JFK opened the floodgates of unionization in the public education system, or even going back hundreds of years, do you think anybody taught that Jefferson believed that religion was an important support for Republican government? I don't think that was ever taught. I hold that when we take a view of the universe in all its parts, general or particular, it is impossible for the human mind not to perceive and feel a conviction of design, consummate skill, and indefinite power in every atom of its composition. Wow, that sounds like some of, uh, that sounds like Einstein's quotes. By way of understanding, this is Einstein, by way of the understanding through Einstein's accomplishments, through his seeking, through his desire to want to know, because you can't know anything unless you actually want to know something, and then you got to do the homework. By way of this understanding, he achieves a far-reaching emancipation. As as. Albert Einstein went through and kept discovering things. And remember, he was in the right place. He was in a patent office. All the ideas came to him. I mean, that's as close to the Internet age, pre-Internet, that you could possibly have. All in a time of great discovery. We, he was getting theories coming in. He was getting all these new elements that were being discovered. As the 1800s turned into the 1900s, he had so much homework coming to him, he didn't have to go anywhere. A far-reaching emancipation from the shackles of personal hopes and desires. In other words, your personal opinions, too. Perhaps the, what you've been taught as a young child, and you just take for granted. Thereby attains that humble attitude of mind towards the grandeur of reason incarnate in existence. 
as Jefferson put it, a conviction of design, consummate skill, and indefinite power in every atom. In other words, what Albert Einstein understood, what Thomas Jefferson understood, and what the general landscape of science from that time on does not understand. And that's why we, cut, we get this random chaos philosophy. Hey, stuff just happens. Yeah, we can't explain it, and stuff just happens. Well, that's not what Albert Einstein believed. He believed there was reason incarnate in existence. It meant the more homework he did, the more the pieces fell together perfectly. And that stuff falling together perfectly is not random. And look at living matter. Hey, it's one thing. Uh, again, look around wherever you are right now, whether you're in your office, whether you're in your car, whether you're in your house, and find me something that just happened. You can't. Oh, I, oh I've got this planted tree over here. Yeah, and how did that planted tree, that, planted, uh, that plant that's in your office, how did it get there? Well, everything starts with an idea and then a plan. And then you execute that plan. You follow through the action of that plan to accomplish the original idea. That's all we human beings do. And the simplest things. I'm tired of sitting on the ground. I have an idea. I'm going to build a chair. Hmm, how should I do this? Well, I think I'll, I'll do a three-leg stool and put a flat thing on the top, and now I don't have to sit on the ground. So whoever had that idea developed a plan. Perhaps they failed at that plan a number of times. Perhaps they only tried two legs, and it didn't work until they accomplished the idea, until they carried out the plan that actually accomplished the idea. Now think about life and living matter. Think how much more complicated that is than putting together a chair. And as I mentioned yesterday, carbon is the, one of the main ingredients. It is the microprocessor that brings life together. Well, as far as living matter, as far as human beings or animal matter, uh, animals, you know, there's flora and fauna. There's vegetable, there's bacteria, and there's uh, um, and germ. Well, think about how the microprocessor takes all of the basic ingredients that science is finding on. <laughs> They're finding all over the place. They just can't find the answer of how they all how it all came together well reason is incarnate in existence there's a reason why the complicated dna happened and it didn't happen randomly one cell call it the one that's in swimming around in our blood protoplasm first germ is what that translates to that same first germ that was probably a long, long time ago. It still, it still swims around, for lack of a better word, in our bloodstream. So what were the ideal conditions for? Well, they should be relatively the same of the environment it lives in now. So the whole idea of science saying, okay, a bolt of lightning hits a, a bunch of toxic ooze, 
three and a half billion years ago because they found some rock where all these little basic ingredients were. Well, the environment wasn't even good enough to help. Maybe life happened in that one bolt of lightning, but the environment didn't exist for it to survive in that. And so there is always, just because we, it's amazing. We plan for everything we do as human beings. And yet all the complications of life that's out there is just random. It's just random chaos, random chance. That's like a tornado, again, going through a junkyard and whipping together a fully fueled and running 747. Well, maybe science can come up with the odds on that happening one time. But when it comes to the cells in our human body and how many cells there are, it happens over and over and over again. That's not random. That's not chance. All right, so let's... Uh, oh, regarding Jefferson's Bible, quote, I too have made a wee little book from the same materials which I called the philosophy of Jesus. It is a... Now, why would Jefferson, if he's a staunch deist, have any concern about Jesus? He wouldn't. It is a paradigm of his doctrines made by cutting the texts out of a book and arranging them on the pages of a blank book in a certain order of time and subject. A more beautiful or precious moral of ethics I have never seen. It is a document in proof that I am a real Christian. Again, go to a search mode and try and find any quote where Thomas Jefferson calls himself a deist. I'll save you the time. You won't find one because it doesn't exist. He never called himself a deist. He never, but look at what here. Here's one. It is a document and proof that I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. Isn't that amazing for a deist to be able to say he's a disciple, a student of the doctrines of Jesus? Very different from the Platonists who call me infidel and themselves Christians and preachers of the gospel while they draw all the characteristic dogmas from what its author never said nor saw. Wow, is that eye-opening? Give you a pretty good reflection of who Thomas Jefferson is. That's just one quote. This came from his personal Bible. It was written in the front of his personal Bible. Quote, I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. I have little doubt that our whole country will soon be rallied to the unity of our creator. Now, was Thomas, did Thomas Jefferson belong to a church? No. As we just read, it's easy for church to become dogmatic because it helps to cater to the followers in that particular church. It's a tough thing. To, it's a tough balancing act. Most preachers and pastors and leaders, they would really do their congregation a service by inspiring them to do their own homework and perhaps even challenge the very doctrines that are part of whatever religion it is. It's a tough, it's a tough thing because 
Yeah, it's it's a real tough. Th- I I went to a I've gone to a lot of Bibles. St- I never went to services. It just it was just boring to me. But it is a place where people gather, and I would think that you could look at the landscape of Christianity in this country as pretty competitive. And you work five, six days a week. And what's the one thing you don't want to do that one day a week when you're gathering with like-minded people at your church? You want to be soothed. You want to be happy. You want to be contented. You certainly don't want to be challenged because if you're challenged too much, well, guess what you're going to do? I don't need this. I came here to relax. I'm going to go down to that church down the street because they don't tell me I need to get in there and do my own homework. Uh, Let's see here. Written okay. Uh, To mask from view the simple structure of Jesus, when in short we shall have unlearned everything which has been taught since his day and got back to the pure and simple doctrines he inculcated. Sounds like Jefferson's a pretty good fan of Jesus. We shall then be truly and worthily his disciples. And my opinion is that if nothing had ever been added to what flowed purely from his lips, the whole world would at this day have been Christian. Wow. That's one large opinion by Thomas Jefferson. The Christian religion, when divested of the rags in which they, the clergy, have enveloped it and brought to the original purity and simplicity of its benevolent institutor is a religion of all others most friendly to liberty, science, and the freest expansion of the human mind. He wrote that in 1801 in a letter. That's pretty cool stuff. Pretty eye-opening, isn't it? It is impossible. Okay. All right, uh, let's see here. We've got, you know, this is actually a really good one. And I think I've got some other basic quotes of his. Uh, we've This was a letter written to a Dr. Benjamin Rush. And depending on <laughs> your schooling background, uh, maybe this was brought up. I don't know. Dear sir, but this has really got a lot of good. Well, let's do this. Let's define what deism is first. The belief based solely on reason in a God who created the universe and then abandoned it, assuming no control over life, exerting no influence or natural phenomena, or giving no supernatural revelation. One of the... One of the basic kind of uh, definitions of deism, that God is a watchmaker, and he made the watch, and then the watch just ticks on by itself over and over. Now, let's see here. Let's see. uh, All right, we've got... uh, Let's see. In some of the most delight... We'll get back to this, but in some of the most delightful conversations with you in the evenings of 1798 and 99 and which served as an anodyne to the afflictions of the crisis through which our country was then laboring, the Christian religion was sometimes our topic. 
We'll get back to the rest of that on the Tim Burns Show here on 810 KLVZ. Tim Burns for Nominal Exhibit Services. The convention business is big business. Why? Because big business is done at these conventions. 20%, 40%, half the business for the entire year can be done at these conventions. If it's time for your company to step up and you just don't know where to start, I encourage you to call Nominal Exhibit Services. Not one company does it all, but one company takes care of all the logistics, and that's Nominal Exhibit Services. Call them at 303-901-9090. All right, uh, let's get to this letter to Dr. Benjamin Rush on August 21st, 1803. Uh, To which the Christian religion was sometimes our topic. And I then promised you that one day or other, I would give you my views of it. Now, looking at the label that the Trinity president gave of calling him a deist, uh, and whatever he was called, whatever the label that started, did, was Jefferson out there in the public defending himself in this regard? No. Hey, he let all of the, well, all the stereotypes that were being developed back then and persist to this day, he just let them go on. In fact, he looked at it as probably <laughs> my personal belief in God is nunya. It's none your business. And that's why it probably became so easy for the labels to stick during that generation. And then, of course, lazy people, not lazy historians, not doing their homework and going in and looking Jefferson's own words and just assuming, hey, well, that pure, oh, he was he was a great historian. So I, I think I'll just I'll just uh, I, I'll avoid doing a lot of homework and just. Believe what he believes. And it goes on and on and on. Excuse me. I would give you... uh, The Christian religion was sometimes a topic, and then I promised you that one day or another I would give you my views on it. They are a result of a life of inquiry and reflection. So, Jefferson does didn't have a project where he went in there and he cut a, you know, took all the words that uh, all of Jesus's words out of the New Testament, a lifetime of inquiry and reflection. Well, the bottom line is that he wanted to know this stuff. It was something that got his goad for his entire life and very different from the anti-Christian system imputed to me by those who know nothing of my opinions. You think that's ever been taught in schools? Do you think that'll ever make it out into the public forum right now about who Jefferson is? Well, anybody who's honest, even if they want to think he's a deist, they pr- they've probably read a- across, come across this who know nothing of my opinions. To the corruptions of Christianity, I am indeed opposed, but not to the genuine precepts of Jesus himself. I am a Christian in the only sense in which he wished anyone to be, sincerely attached to his doctrines, 
in preference to all others, ascribing to himself every human excellence and believing he never claimed any other. That's it. Uh, let me skip down here. This is now, this is now, uh, this I now send you as the only discharge of my promise I can probably ever execute. See, he, this wasn't anybody else's business but himself, but he heard all of what was going on in public newspapers, in the public forum, in the political circles. He's, he heard all this stuff and he never he just said, hey, if they want to believe that, that's fine. But that's not who I am. And in confiding, confiding it to you, I know it will not be exposed to the malignant perversions of those who make every word from me a text for new misrepresentations and calumnies, which is a fancy word for lies. I am moreover averse to the communication of my religion religious tenants to the public. His business, his religion was personal. Did he belong to a church? No. But he had somebody doing church services during his time as president in government buildings. Not quite the stereotype that fits nowadays to who Jefferson is. Uh misrepresentations and calumnies. I am moreover averse to the communication of my religious tenets to the public because it would countenance the presumption of those who have endeavored to draw them before that tribunal. In other words, he didn't want to, he didn't want to get any silly arguments because that's a no winning proposition. If the loudest voices from the most numerous people are coming, well, that's a battle that he just chose to step back from, but it was nice that he gave us this letter to Dr. Benjamin Rush. It behooves every man who's value, who values liberty of conscience for himself to resist invasions of it in the case of others, or their case may, by change of circumstances, become his own. It behooves him to, in his own case, to give no example of concession, betraying the common right of independent opinion by answering questions of faith, faith, which the laws have left between God and himself. Accept my affectionate salutations. The Christian religion. Let's see. I've got some more quotes before we run out of time that I want to get to uh, of his. But again... He's done a lot of homework, and he understood exactly what he meant when he said, endowment from our creator. That endowment isn't some philosophical notion. No, he understood because he called it the internal monitor for us. Uh, let's see here. If I can find, I knew I had some more quotes. I mean, there's all sorts of quotes, and all you have to do is is punch up into any Thomas Jefferson website, the Monticello website. You can bring us bring all that up. Let's see here. Uh, that rescuing a more beautiful or precious morsel of ethics I have never seen. He told John Adams that he was rescuing the philosophy of Jesus and the pure principles which he taught. 
there will be found remaining the most sublime and benevolent code of morals with, which has ever been offered to man. So again, deist? I don't think so. And uh, yeah, the, the interesting thing about the words that he particularly used in the Declaration, but also a couple words that ended up in our Constitution. You know, that's one thing that the Jefferson's a deist and he put the big wall up and you see there's no creator like there is in, uh, there's, no, there's no religious reference whatsoever like Jefferson had in the Declaration of Independence in the Constitution. And yet, those 52 words, those first 52 words, as we call the preamble, have a couple of words that have a religious overtone, undertone, a religious connotation. Secure the blessings of liberty. Blessing. Now, of course, the liberals love the Constitution because it doesn't have any reference to God. Well... In a sense, it does. The acts or words of a person who blesses a special favor, mercy, or benefit, a favor or gift bestowed by God, thereby bringing happiness, the invoking of God's favor upon a person. These are just definitions out of the dictionary. Bless, the word bless, to consecrate, consecrate or sanctify by a religious rite, to make or pronounce holy, to request of God the bestowal of divine favor, to extol as holy, to glorify. And the last one within that 52 words, do ordain the Constitution, ordain to invest with ministerial or sacerdotal functions, to confer holy orders upon, to enact or establish by law edict, to decree, give orders for. So we've got two words that have a religious overtone. All right, everybody. I uh, just want to let you know that. I'll be back. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.